The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. The gruesome news headlines these days report details and even explicit videos of beheadings carried out by Islamic zealots. Who would have imagined that such ancient atrocities would be widely resurrected in the 21st century? This brings to mind a beheading in the Bible that deserves our attention. It was the cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist, who was beheaded for his faith by the Roman ruler of Galilee, Herod Antipas. What was it about the ministry of John that was so powerful and yet at the same time caused such great animosity? We want to look at John the Baptist in light of current events in the Middle East today. Hello, I'm Christine Darg. Barbaric assaults on religious liberty are greeted in the West with embarrassed silence. Yet in these troubled times, we need many more brave men and women, once again sent from God, like John the Baptist. But first, a little news background. We were recently with Canon Andrew White at one of our Jerusalem prayer conferences. Andrew is one of the bravest men that I know. For almost a decade, Andrew has played a key role in freeing hostages in the Middle East as an envoy for the Archbishop of Canterbury. And he's been the vicar of St. George's Church in Baghdad, Iraq, until recently, when the Archbishop insisted that it wasn't safe for Andrew to stay there because of the advance of Islamic State terrorists who have already beheaded a number of Western hostages. More than a thousand members of Andrew's congregation, several of his staff, and tragically some of the children have been murdered. And his flock in Baghdad has dwindled from more than 6,000 to about a thousand, including the six remaining Jews in Iraq who have lived under Andrew's personal protection. What's happening is a tragedy of extraordinary historic proportions. In the place where Abraham was born, most of the ancient Jewish community was forced to flee several decades ago, and now ancient Christian communities are being scattered. In 2003, there were more than a million Iraqi Christians, but in more recent times, their plight has become desperate. They have been decimated by ISIS terrorists, demanding that they either convert, pay a punitive Islamic tax as second-class citizens, or be slaughtered. But it's not just in Iraq where Christians are under attack. According to Open Doors, a charity that supports persecuted Christians, radical Muslims are the main source of persecution in at least 36 countries around the world, including Kenya, Ethiopia, Somalia, Saudi Arabia, Nigeria, and Iran. In Syria, Christians have been crucified. In Nigeria, churches have been repeatedly bombed or torched, sometimes with the worshippers still inside. According to one persecution index, 
Islamic persecution of Christians is up 60% over last year's statistics. One of the most horrific incidences happened recently in Pakistan, where a Christian couple were falsely accused of burning pages of the Quran when they were simply taking out rubbish at a brick-making factory where they worked. They were beaten and burnt alive in the brick-firing oven. The wife was pregnant, and the couple's other children were cruelly orphaned. Recently in England, the Prince of Wales said that what's happening to Christianity in the Middle East is an indescribable tragedy. Christians are now recognized as the most persecuted group in the world. But who's really listening? In the West, for the most part, both church and political leaders are largely silent, almost certainly through fear. Meanwhile, what was unthinkable in the not-so-distant past is now happening. For example, in the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., Muslims were recently invited to hold a prayer service where they chanted that there is only one God and God has no son, that Jesus Christ cannot be a son, and that there is no God except Allah. This in the National Church of the United States. We're experiencing a spiritual deja vu. You see, by the 8th century, Muslims had conquered North Africa and had overrun Spain before Christians in France stopped them at the Battle of Tours in 732. The Crusades pushed back the Muslims further, but Islam was only finally repulsed in 1683 at the gates of Vienna when the Ottoman Turks were defeated. The Christian world at that time had the fortitude to repulse Islamic imperialism. But now religious liberty, the core value of Western civilization, is being eroded across large parts of the world. The latest phenomenon in global jihad is a grotesque ritual of pledging allegiance to Islam through a blood initiation ritual of beheadings. Many Bible teachers are calling our attention to the fact that beheading will be the preferred mode of murder during the short reign of the Antichrist on this earth. Precisely, the Apostle John prophesied in the book of Revelation, in chapter 20 and verse 4, he said, And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They hadn't worshipped the beast or its image, and they had not received the beast's mark on their foreheads or on their hands. But they came to life and reigned with Messiah for a thousand years, John prophesied. Well, because radical jihadists wield meat cleavers and axes, this mode of savagery took me to the accounts in the New Testament of the beheading of John the Baptist. Church tradition also teaches that Paul the Apostle was beheaded for his faith Although that fact is not recorded in Scripture, but we do know for a fact, according to the Synoptic Gospels, that John the Baptist was subjected to the indignity of beheading. Also, Acts 12 and verse 2 records 
that the Apostle James was executed with a sword. Although the work of John the Baptist was short-lived, his work was vitally important because each of the four Gospels prefaces the ministry of Jesus with the preparation work of John the Baptist. In fact, to properly understand the ministry of Jesus the Messiah, we must start with the message of John who was sent by God to prepare the way of the Lord. John the baptizer was destined to fulfill certain prophecies of Isaiah and Malachi as the messenger of the Lord to prepare the way of Messiah and to prepare the people. And he was to do it in the spirit and power of the fiery prophet Elijah. John came baptizing in the wilderness of Judea and crying, Repent! Repent! But we in the West don't pay even half the attention to John the Baptist as the Middle Eastern churches do. Why does the church in the East give so much honor to John the Baptist? They even fix a strict fast day in his honor. Well, I'd like to offer at least 10 reasons why John is honored, and these 10 reasons are very edifying for those of us who are serving the Lord in these dangerous end times. First of all, John the Baptist is greatly honored in the Eastern churches because our Lord Jesus himself declared in Luke chapter 7 and verse 28 that John was the greatest man born among women. Now, many people are surprised by this. Surely, Jesus himself is the greatest man born of women. However, as the Bible teaches, Jesus wasn't born from a married female. He was born of a virgin. Therefore, Orthodox Christians affirm that John the Baptist is the greatest man ever born of women, and that's why the church duly honors him. In fact, the Orthodox Church celebrates no fewer than six feasts of John the Baptist in its church calendar. The first feast commemorates John's conception. Another feast is devoted to his birth, and the last feast devoted to John the Baptist concerns his beheading. Now, the second reason for John's greatness is that his conception involved supernatural help from God. You see, he was conceived when his parents were in their old age. Other great luminaries of the Bible who gave birth in old age were, of course, Sarah and Abraham, who gave birth to Isaac. The third reason for John's greatness is that great men and women often do have great parents who impart much wisdom, knowledge, and destiny to the next generation. And John's parents were holy people in their own right, and their child was a gift from God in answer to their prayers. John's father was Zechariah, a prophet, a priest in the temple, and a martyr. Elizabeth, John's mother, was the sister of Anna, that is, the sister of the mother of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And the family relationship between Mary and John the Baptist is expressed in an icon that hangs over the doors of every Orthodox church. This icon shows Jesus, the Messiah, in the center. Mary is on his right hand and John the Baptist on his left. 
This icon signifies that our salvation was accomplished by the Savior with the work of preparation by John the Baptist and the cooperation of the Virgin Mary, who was a surrogate mother supernaturally. John the Baptist is great, fourthly, because he was the herald of Messiah. John has been given the special title of forerunner. John alone can claim to be Messiah's forerunner. Therefore, in a sense, the church says that John is the pioneer of our faith. John's example is a powerful model for all of us believers living today. Our task in this generation is similar to his as a forerunner because we're called especially to prepare people for the second coming of Jesus. We must prepare our generation to receive the Lamb of God, the Son of God, and not be caught short without any oil in our lamp, so to speak, like the foolish virgins that Jesus prophesied in the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. We must be awake and alert and looking for the coming of the Lord. Just as John the Baptist didn't miss the first coming, we mustn't miss the second coming of Jesus. A fifth point to consider about John's greatness is that he's called by scholars and theologians the last prophet of the Old Testament. The final 17 books of the Old Testament are the prophetic books ranging from Isaiah to Malachi. Thus John the Baptist can be considered a bridge, or some would say the hinge, that holds together the Old and New Testaments. A sixth reason for John's greatness is this. Not only was John the Baptist the first prophet of the New Testament, he was also the first martyr during the Lord's public preaching. John was beheaded three years before the stoning to death of Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr of the church after the Lord's ascension. Now, if you've just joined us, I'm Christine Darig, and we're discussing why the Eastern Orthodox churches venerate John the Baptist in a way that the Western Protestant churches fail to do. We Christians in the West should at least have some understanding of the thinking of our brethren in the East. With so many beheadings taking place by ruthless and savage jihadists, the beheading of John the Baptist is a relevant topic to be studied. Now, a seventh reason for the greatness of John the Baptist, according to the Eastern and Orthodox churches, is that he was, in their minds, the church's first hermit or monk. Indeed, John's lifestyle is why he's called the patron saint of monasticism. The famous hermit Saint Anthony decided to go live in the Egyptian desert to imitate the lifestyle of John the Baptist, as did the other desert fathers in Egypt. I realize that members of the Protestant churches of which I'm affiliated don't usually think about the practice of monasticism, which is the devotion of individuals who live aesthetic and cloistered lives. But John was imitating Elijah, the prophet, who lived in the desert and was fed by ravens. John the Baptist could be described as a hermit because he undeniably lived in the desert. He dressed incredibly simply in keeping with his stern message, and he ate a very limited diet of locusts and wild honey. John's obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit is demonstrated in his life of prayer and fasting. 
He prayed in the desert. He lived a solitary life and he ate that honey and locusts while dressed in camel hair with a leather belt. Thus, in the Eastern Church, John is called a heavenly man and an earthly angel. His obedience was demonstrated in being willing to baptize the Son of God, whose shoelaces, he said, he wasn't worthy to untie. Interestingly, the preaching of John the Baptist was well received by the people in Judea and Jerusalem. Because of his charisma, they were well prepared for the coming of the Lord. In fact, many wondered if John the Baptist was the Messiah. But we have to ask if John's preaching style and message would be received today. Could this generation receive from a man who required people to go into the wilderness to hear him? Could we receive from a man who dressed and ate like a hermit, very eccentric? Could we receive from a man when he pointed his finger at the religious people coming to him to be baptized by him? He didn't stroke them and tell them how to be successful, but he openly railed at them as a brood of vipers, he called them. Would we really give serious attention to such a harsh hermit? Truth is, we're easily offended when a preacher steps on our toes. Some in today's megachurches would refuse to listen to what they perceived as negative messages. But John was great. He was God's man. Well, number eight reason, another reason for the greatness of John is that he carried the spirit of repentance, which is the tenor of scripture. The Bible is a book about repentance. In fact, repentance with the result of baptisms was the chief characteristic of John's ministry. Repentance, unfortunately, is a foreign word today in many of the churches, but it's required for salvation. The Bible promises that all who repent of their sins and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, believing that God raised him from the dead, shall be saved. Repentance is the first word of John the Baptist recorded in Holy Scripture. John is great because he preached repentance. I like this quote from the Orthodox Church. Repentance is the mark of truth, the mark of sobriety, the absence of exaltation, and a sense of reality. Wow. I like that statement. I want to take a seal a moment. Repentance is the mark of truth, the mark of sobriety, the absence of exaltation, and a real sense of reality. Well, a ninth reason for the greatness of John is that he fearlessly denounced sin and the abuse of power in the spirit and power of the great Old Testament prophet Elijah. Sounding like Elijah, John thundered and denounced against Herod Antipas, who was ruler in Galilee at the time of John's preaching. Herod Antipas was the son of the wicked king Herod, who had slaughtered the holy innocent children in Bethlehem nearly 30 years before at the time of Jesus' birth. John denounced the sexual sins of Herod Antipas, who had first married the daughter of an Arab prince, then he had illegally taken a mistress named Herodias, who was in fact his own sister-in-law. 
At some point, he married Herodias, and church tradition teaches that Herod had a daughter named Salome through this incestuous, adulterous relationship. And John was beheaded as a result of this denunciation of Herod and the vengeful Herodias. His head was brought before Herodias on a platter. That's why Orthodox Christians solicit the prayers of John the Baptist in cases of headaches, migraines, and even brain tumors. At his birthday party, Herod was excited by Salome's sensual dancing, and he gave way to his wife's demand to behead John the Baptist. That's why the Orthodox Church doesn't make a big fuss over birthdays. The tragic episode that happened on Herod's birthday is the only time in the New Testament that we read of a birthday party, and it caused a great crime to be committed. The tenth reason that I'd like to share, and I believe it's one of the greatest reasons for the greatness of John the Baptist, was his extraordinary humility. Although John had many disciples at the height of his ministry, he turned all the attention away from himself and pointed to Jesus, the Lamb of God. John said, Jesus was mightier. John said, I baptize you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And in the Gospel of John 3:30, John the Baptist said, he, that is Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. John was humbly saying that Jesus must become more important but he, John, must become less important. Well, as we think of the beheading of John the Baptist, my heart goes out to the families of the hostages who have been beheaded so savagely by Islamic terrorists. Many who were beheaded have been journalists or humanitarians. John the Baptist was for certain a man of God who was subjected to that terrible indignity. What can we learn from the death of John the Baptist, who was so cruelly beheaded for no other crime than speaking the truth. We learn that the faithfulness of John the Baptist unto death should inspire us today to remain true to God's word even when it's not politically correct. John wasn't ashamed to preach repentance and he upheld God's law on marriage. Even when the truth of God's moral law made sinners burning angry. Many people today want churchmen to sanction their lawlessness when it comes to sexual issues and the redefinition of marriage. But God's law on what constitutes a proper marriage goes all the way back to the beginning of creation. In Matthew chapter 19 and verses 4 to 8, Jesus described God's position on marriage in the Torah. He said to the people of his day, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning, male and female, said, For this reason a man must leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, Jesus said, What God has joined together, let no man separate. The men of his day said to Jesus, Why then did Moses allow us a certificate of divorce to put away a wife? 
But Jesus answered, because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it wasn't so. And in the next verse, Matthew 19, 9, the Lord defined the one circumstance when it's lawful to divorce and remarry. Jesus said, whoever divorces and marries someone else commits adultery, unless their spouse has been unfaithful. Therefore, according to Jesus, not all marriages are lawful. And so there may be times when, like John the Baptist, we must confront somebody and tell them that in the sight of God, it's not lawful for them to marry somebody. But sadly, the church has become soft and not many want to hear this kind of teaching. Today, many churches and shrines throughout the Middle East claim to have the head or at least portions of the skull of John the Baptist. His executioner has long been forgotten, but John retains the accolade given by our Lord that he was the greatest man. But the thought I want to leave with you today is this. Amazingly, Jesus said that anyone born again in the church age, the age we're living in now, would be greater than John the Baptist. Isn't that amazing? Let's look more closely to two remarkable statements that Jesus made in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 11, 11. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But, Jesus said, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. It's the second statement that has perplexed many people. Let's face it, in the church, there are many people who don't measure up to a man like John the Baptist. How can any of us be greater than John the Baptist? Well, scholars explain the statement of Jesus that, first of all, we enjoy a greater knowledge of Messiah because we live on the other side of the cross and we know the wonderful story of redemption that was achieved by Yeshua, Jesus, at the cross. We also know the nature of the kingdom, that it's been established, and we know about its future glory. We know many things that even Jesus himself didn't teach his disciples until after the descent of the Holy Spirit. You see, John the Baptist wasn't in the kingdom of heaven or in the church during his lifetime. He came to proclaim that it was near, it was at hand. But John actually lived as a prophet under the old covenant. Even he who is least in the kingdom now lives under the new covenant. Because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, all who put their faith in Jesus now experience the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. John was born of woman, but those in the kingdom of God are born again of the Spirit. And the gift of the Spirit delivers us from the power of sin. Spiritual regeneration, being born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, wasn't a gift enjoyed by those under the old covenant, but it is a new covenant blessing. Our greatness is, in fact, because the Lord would bestow such great blessings upon us as to be filled with the Holy Spirit and our hearts 
being made new, born again. Amen and amen. Well, I hope this program has been an encouragement to you in a day and age when terrorism and beheadings are on the increase. There was a man sent from God, John the Baptist, and he paid the ultimate price, his life with his head. But we're privileged and humbled to have an even greater portion in the kingdom of God when we humble ourselves and receive the Savior whom John the Baptist preached. I encourage you to do just that, to repent of all of your sins and to receive the Lord Jesus. Yeshua is his Hebrew name. For the time of the Lord's second coming is very near. Receive the Lord Jesus now as your Savior and soon coming King while he may yet still be received. The hour is soon coming when the door of salvation will be shut. If you have any questions, we can chat on the social media through Facebook and Twitter or at our website, exploits.tv. You can click online to receive our free color newsletter, Exploits. So until next time, contending for the faith, I'm Christine Darg. Shalom. What a marvelous gift God has given us through the Internet to share with you all over the world. I hope that you'll take time to visit our website with daily news updates, articles, and insights into the unpredictable world in which we live. And of course, our central focus is the nation of Israel and how God is fulfilling Bible prophecy in these turbulent days. We send out email alerts of all our new videos, and you can also read our Exploits Ministry magazine free online. All you need to do is let us have your email address. Better still, you can contact us by phone in the USA at our toll-free number, 1-888-245-2692. Our number in the UK is 0843-557-4077. And please keep in mind that all this is made possible by viewers like you who will stand with us. You can make a donation by credit or debit card at our website. Thanks for being a part of Exploits Ministry. You're living in the promise of Daniel 11.32. Those who know God will be strong and do exploits.